The world around us is changing faster than ever before. before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be, bold, be brave, be and be brave. fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. I am happy to welcome Steve Wagner, who is the Senior Marketing Executive at Webula. Welcome, Steve. Thanks, Seema. Thanks for having me. Thanks. I'm so excited that you found me through the podcast. It makes me so happy. That's how we connected. Yeah, happy to do it. I love to listen to, to some good stuff, and, and I think your, your podcast is very valuable. Awesome. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about you and Webula. Yeah, so I head up the strategic marketing for Webula. Webula is a, a email hygiene, data enrichment, audience data targeting organization. Been in business for 10 years, celebrating our 10th year in business this year. And we really help out organizations in, in a couple different areas. We help them with the hygiene of their list, making sure that their email is as clean as possible to drive you know the best marketing performance out of that list, you know, deliverability, open rates, all that fun stuff, and stay away from the threats. We also help enrich the organization's data with missing pieces, you know, so we are able to find missing parts of their data, like personal information or buying interests or, you know, anything that might give them an edge as far as segmentation or personalization of their messaging. And then we're also able to help organizations, uh, you know, target uh, individuals, increase ad relevancy, create new revenue streams of the audience targeting side. That's interesting. You know, it's funny because we, everybody keeps saying that emails are dead. Like that's not the form of reaching consumers. What's your perspective on that? Well, we've heard that a lot. Uh, there's been lots of things written about, you know, email being dead, but uh, I think, you know, just every year proves out that email marketing is one of the, if not the top, you know, marketing revenue driver for organizations. I think, you know, certainly a lot of trends in digital over the last couple of years, but everything kind of circles back to having a, a solid email address for people in order to validate their accounts or to drive specific messaging to. So yeah, we, we hear that a lot. We don't laugh it off. We take it seriously, but you know, time and time again, we find that email's not going away. Yep. I tend to agree with you. It's funny. I was talking to a colleague of mine and we're talking about third-party pens and using email as a unique identifier. And she had shared with me, well, she's used the same email address for 23 years. And basically anybody could find out anything about her if they connect it to the email, which I don't really think about. I always think about the fraud related to email. Yeah, I think that, you know, people always think about the bad side of email, you know, the spam and the untargeted messages and, you know, kind of the 90% of stuff out there that doesn't really catch their eye or work. But at the end of the day, yeah, I like I've had the same email address, you know, personal email address for probably 20 years now I still use it every day. It's a regular part of my day. There isn't a day that you don't check it weekday or weekend. So yeah, it's still very relevant and still a big uh, revenue driver for organizations. So tell us a little bit about you know, being able to understand the difference, I want to say status or kind of the different clusters of email fraud or definitions, if you will, because I know we spoke and it was kind of like black or white. Oh, this is a bad email. This is a good email. But your company basically creates some gradations around that. 
Yeah, we really are a big believers in the concept of email hygiene. So what that means more specifically is that I think most folks, most marketers, especially look at their email list and say, well, how many, you know, if I have a million names on my list, how many of those are valid? How many of those are invalid, right? And, you know, can I identify those invalids? The, the problem with that thinking, it doesn't go deep enough, is that there are certainly a lot of threats out there. And I'll go into some of the major categories that we do when we process files for customers and what they are. But the, a lot of those threats actually do deliver. So you really have to, you know, kind of look beyond just, I have X amount of valid and X amount of invalid and then what to do with those things. Those threats, you know, we kind of break into four major kind of high level categories. They're reputation threats, fraud threats, delivery threats, and conversion threats. There's certainly a ton of different examples under each. I'll kind of go over some of the high level ones. When you talk about reputation threats, you know, marketers are aware, they, at least they should be aware of an email sender score. You know, every organization that, that you know, pushes out email in, in a big way, you know, this is kind of like your credit score with respect to the ISPs and the ESPs out there. And it's really important to maintain that. And you're really, you know, only just a couple bad emails away from really damaging that. So we help organizations, you know, identify you know, the spam domains, you know, your blacklisted domains, you know, your seated tracker. These are things that are, you know, can get you in trouble depending on how you're acquiring your new information. And so we help you know, identify those under the reputation threat category. Uh, the fraud threats are your bots, your spammers, your you know bogus usernames and things of that nature. And obviously that just you know helps with uh, you know your delivery and your in getting the inbox by removing those folks and identifying those a little more you know, in depth. The delivery threats are you know your improper you know domain roles, your improper you know RFC roles, disposable domains, duplicates. You know these are Certainly things that you, know, you certainly don't want to you know, hurt your deliverability by sending to those folks. And then lastly, the conversion threats. So these are your uh, the folks that can help with you know, hurt your open rates, your conversion rates on the campaign specifically. So these are you know, folks like you know, EU member domains, right? If you're heavily marketing into the European Union, you want to be very careful about that, right? California with their CCPA, right? Legislation that just went into effect. We go deeper in, in you know, even beyond kind of those, you know, what can get you fined kind of threats. We also, you can help identify people that are, are called complainers. We call them screamers in our list. And these are folks that often, you know, oftentimes take your email and report you, you know, so whether you've acquired them accurately or, you know, legally or not, you know, if they're likely to complain, what, you know, then you probably want to stay away from those folks. So we're able to, uh, you know, to take your file, uh, run it through our email hygiene filters, provide that report back to you flagged, and then really have a conversation with you around what's important to you. You know, certainly not everything in here is necessarily bad. It just depends on what your business goals are and who you're trying to target, but we'll provide that intelligence back to you. That's fascinating. So when you talk about reputation threats, is that quote unquote a credit score or a reputation score of that email address? Is that what you're referring to? That's actually going to hurt your reputation as far as your email sender score. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So every organization, you know, has this because they're using a an ESP, an email service provider, you know, or an ISP, internet service provider to send that email through those services. And these are the ESPs and ISPs really kind of protecting themselves, you know, from the recipients of these emails. And, you know, you're just like if you decided not to pay your credit card, you know, for six months, you're going to hurt your credit score. If you continually do, you know, it's usually not a one-time thing. But if you're a habitual offender of some of those things, then you're going to just you know, continue to get a lower score, lower score. And then eventually you'll get blacklisted. You'll receive a, a fun message from your ESP saying you've been blacklisted and you need to go through you know, an audit process with us to make sure that you're doing everything on the up and up. And are there certain percentages that you see that fall into these categories? If I have a list, I should expect X percentage of my list to have, you know, 
fraud threats. Are there general rules of thumbs that you thumb that you see in terms of how these fall out? Not really. I think it all depends really where you're getting and how you're acquiring your names. Right. So if you are, you know, writing content and building out a list that way, kind of a slow burn, you know, and getting people to opt in and all that fun stuff. I mean, that's really a good practice to use. You know, fortunately, there are options out there for you to rapidly acquire <laughs> names through, you know, not so nefarious me, you know, or not so, you know, scrupulous measures. So it just depends on how often we would advise. We really don't see, you know, one kind of standard out there for that. It really literally goes, you know, client to client for us, but it's all really contingent upon what kind of business, who they're targeting and how often they're acquiring data. Those are the big factors. Okay. Let's talk about something that I think you have indicated has been a differentiator for Webula and that is, you know, having actual data versus model data. Yeah. So in addition to the email hygiene side of our business, we also have a data enrichment side. We're able to append, you know, additional information or missing gaps for people in their customer lists. And where, you know, question we often get is, you know, well, how are you accumulating that data? How can I trust it? And things of that nature. You know, 100% of Webula data is what we call self-reported, deterministic, and individually linked. So we can really trace that you know, whatever piece of data that we've collected really back 100% back to that individual who had self-reported that. That often comes from publisher partners, transactional events, you know, social media surveys, other data providers that rely on that same level of data to acquire their third-party data. We never use model data. And again, it is always a fascinating debate about how a good job model data can be. But we never use model data to artificially inflate that database. So when you take your list and say, I'm looking for, you know, how many folks you know, drive a Ford F-150 and you bounce that against our list and we come back with those results. You can really rely on our results versus, you know, we didn't take three other pieces of data to assume, you know, they have a, a two bedroom house, they live in California and some other factor. And we can assume that they drive a Ford F-150, you know, based on that, right? So again, there's pros and cons to that, but we really find that customers really enjoy using our data because of that factor. It, it's kind of old school. I know AI and modeling is kind of all the rage and Certainly, um, you know, there's certainly something to be said there for that. But, you know, with our data being 100% self-reported, deterministic, and individually linked, you know that it's true and it's often updated, you know, more accurately more often as well. Could you share some of the pros and cons in terms of the self-reported data, just so we get a deeper understanding of the differences of the two? Self-reported versus model data, for example? Model data, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the pros with respect to that is that we often find customers, you don't come to us just looking for one piece of data, right? They say, okay, yeah, I'm missing postal address, right? I want to be able to, you know, to geo-target a little bit better. Once they understand our taxonomy and kind of go through that and understand that they, can, they also can see, you know, B2B information, political information, demographic information, they usually try to personalize their messaging by pulling three or four different audiences together. And, you know, they'll really get very zero targeted in on, you know, whatever they're looking for. So if they're looking for a geo target and they want to then, you know, understand what kind of uh, political, you know, we're in a political year, right? Obviously right now, you know, understand if they're a left-leaning or a right-leaning person, they may be able to marry the uh, existing pieces of their data together to really send them a very targeted message. So I think that's probably the biggest pro, you know, overall. Now, you know, Maybe I'm biased. I just don't really see a, too much of a con there because it is based on what the you know, the person is reporting themselves to be. I think you know maybe perhaps you know, there could be a pricing you know issue. I think you know I don't pretend to know what the model data providers are charging per record, but it may be less. But I think you know again modeling is certainly getting smarter year after year, and I think probably in part to data service providers like us 
getting better with our, you know, self-report and deterministic data, they're able to make better assumptions. But at the end of the day, it's still an assumption. You know, you're still taking an educated guess. Educated guesses can work. I mean, we're all marketers and we take some level of educated guess in every day of our work. So, you know, it can certainly work. But, I, you know, again, I think we're just, you know, our eyes are just going back to old school and, and just, you know, telling you that we know that person is that kind of person because they've self-reported that. Well, it sounds like there's a higher level of certainty or accuracy being that it's self-reported. Yeah, I would think so. Okay. Yeah. Again, I don't know if there's you know, kind of like one accuracy standard out there, but if you gave me two different scenarios and told me that, you know, Jim is telling me that he's a Ford F-150 driver versus, you know, Bob service that is assuming that based on three other pieces of data, I would probably tend to go towards the self-reported aspect of it, right? Yep. Yeah. So you had mentioned that a lot of the data is collected, you know, you work with third-party companies, you talked about social media surveys and other sources. Obviously, you know, there's privacy that we have to think about as the way we collect data. There's obviously, you know, Google's decision about cookies. What do you think the future holds as it relates to your area of the ecosystem? Yeah, I think you know, the Google thing you mentioned is very interesting because the third-party cookies going away or fi- being phased out over the next couple of years has really, in some regards, shaken a lot of marketers who have relied heavily on digital. You know, and it's definitely something that we've heard in the marketplace. You know, over the last couple of months when it was first announced, and I'm glad that they're giving us a grace period of a couple of years to kind of get ready for that. I think Google realized the impact that they had in that regard. I think what it centers back to then, you know, for us is that what we're seeing is that email is king. You know, email becomes a really good, you know, independent verifier, you know, of a person because as you know, you mentioned, you know, earlier in the, in the talk about someone, you know, had the same email address, you know, for 20 years. I've had the same Gmail address, you know, for 20 years. People tend to not, you know, open up and have 27 different things, you know, email addresses out there. So we're finding is that as folks start to phase out those cookies, they start to layer in the email address, you know, back into that coding, they're going to still see the reliable results, you know, as a result of that. So, you know, we're talking we hear other email you know, experts in the field you know, saying the same thing back to us, that they're hearing the same thing, that you know, marketers are going to go back to relying on email. So you, know, you said earlier in the conversation, how many times have we heard that email is dying? You know, oh, this is going to be another reason why it's not. Email will always be king. And, or I should say, or queen as well, Tim. Excuse me, <laughs> or queen. You're right, exactly. But so do you think we're going to go back to a time where it's really going to be email that's the main unique identifier and the way we market to consumers versus using the digital? Well, I guess the cookies are going to be gone. Is there alternative things that are being discussed? I'm not sure if you know that or not. It's a hard question to ask. I think, again, I think people are still in that shell-shocked phase of, my goodness, you know, we saw Apple do it, you know, a few years ago, but Apple didn't have a significant portion of the market when Google, you know, followed suit. It really shook folks to the core. So I think it's a hard question to answer, but I think, you know, people are going to go back to what's reliable to them, you know, what has worked before. And again, you know, go back to email. Email's not dead because, you know, it's still a significant portion of every marketer's attack plan. But I think people are going to want to fall back to something that is known, you know, at least for the next couple of years. And, and per- this will probably open up another opportunity for some company to figure out another way to unique identify somebody without an email. And maybe that's, you know, we have another version of the cookie just in a less, you know, data privacy you know, intrusion type way, if that makes sense, right? So that's a hard question to answer, but I think it's going to be a fun ride over the next, you know, four to five years to see where that heads. Yeah, I completely agree. Steve, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I've learned a lot and I'm sure our our listeners will too. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. I love the podcast and, and we're happy to be a part of it. Thank you so much. Yep, thank you. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to Data Gurus Podcast. This episode has ended. 
but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.